we, uh, I came out, I, was, I think I was wearing an apron or I had a towel over my shoulder because Katie and I are in the kitchen together. And I said, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I hope you like zucchini. <laughs> because we had, I'm sure that we had fried zucchini and zucchini casserole and zucchini bread with, uh, with um, chocolate chips in it. Because uh, you've got to kind of figure out how you can make zucchini bread into, or zucchini into dessert like that, right? And that's pretty much all we had. I mean, that day, we were just kind of scraping by. But, you know, we made it work. And, we, and it's a memory. It's a memory that we, we have had for many years. Because even though we might not have had a lot in worldly terms, we were able to provide some hospitality in those times. And, uh, and we, you probably can think of memories like that. Uh, in recent years, uh, <clears throat> how many of you like Chinese buffets? Got a few of them. Uh, you've never had a Chinese buffet until you have Chinese students making a buffet in, uh, in your house. I mean, it smells better than any Chinese buffet, and it's authentic. And this is one of my favorite pictures of uh, a couple years ago, all of our, our uh, handful of our Chinese students just, and, and I love the table because there's more, there's one more plate than there is people around this table. It was always a ton of food. And I'm like, how in the world are we going to eat all of this food? Now, Gabriel, who is up in the top of the picture, he would make sure that there was nothing left because that kid could eat a ton of food. But I experienced in those moments, Katie and I experienced hospitality like none other. I, I think I've mentioned before, this was the only, these were the only students that actually invited us up into their apartments to eat food uh, with them. Not that our other students weren't hospitable at all, but they were rather for us to cook for them. Well, these students cook for us, and we never, we still to this day never go hungry when they're around our table and in our kitchen. And so we're grateful for their hospitality. Uh, and that's kind of where I want to go with this this morning a little bit, is to just to talk about hospitality. And Jesus spoke about this in uh, one of my favorite parables. It's actually the, the shortest parable that Jesus teaches. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who takes yeast and mixes it into three measures of flour. Okay, I've, I think I've taught about this in be, before, but if you're new here, you're going to catch it, and, and I hope everybody else will be a reminder. Because just like any good rabbi would do, Jesus being the rabbi that he was, and a good teacher, was, would say these words, and the disciples would know exactly what story he's talking about. Did anybody guess? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who mixes yeast into three measures of flour and makes bread. That's, it's just one verse. It's a story. It's a parable. But there's a hint in this parable that points back to another story that the disciples would have known. Did anybody remember what, or know what story we're, that he would be referencing? What's the hint? It's the only other place in the text that talks about a woman. Actually, it was, it was the husband that says, hey, woman. <laughs> he called her by name. But I'm not going to give you the hint. I'm not going to give you the name yet. Go make, go make bread for our guests. And so this woman took yeast and mixed it into three seahs of flour. Oh, somebody's. Oh, do you know Darren? Uh, nope. That's close. That's really close. That's really close. It was Abram. So it said to Sarai, 
we have three visitors that have come to us. The Lord comes to Abram as he is sitting under the tree in the cool of the day, and he recognizes that these are special guests. And Abram says to Sarah, Sarah, we have special guests. Go take yeast and mix it into dough, three measures of dough, uh, measures of flour, rather, and make bread. And so she does. Does anybody know what three measures or three sayas of flour is? How much the, if you're in your NIV, and I didn't put it up on the screen today because I didn't want you to give the hint, because they already translate it for you, and I hate that, because I feel like it should be one of those things where we've got to dig into it and try to find out. Like, what is a saya? Okay, it's a measure. You know, it's like a measure, like a pound or, uh, or, or grams or a bushel or something like that. It, three measures of flour is, I know you're looking, you're looking on your phone. <laughs> 60 pounds of flour. Katie, how many, how many loaves of bread can you get out of 60 pounds of flour? I looked it up, and it's any, depending on how you make your loaf, it's 50 to 144, which 144 is a wonderful Bible number. It depends on how big you make your loaf. That's a lot of bread for three people. That's radical hospitality. That's what Jesus was saying. He's not talking about, he's not just talking about a little bit of yeast mixing in with the dough. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is radical hospitality. It is, it is like Sarah who makes bread enough to feed an army and gives it just to three people. That's radical hospitality. Radical, what I, what I want to project this morning is that radical hospitality seeks to make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Now, that's very living stones, right? That we, that we look out at our neighborhood and we say, I don't know all the people in this neighborhood. They're strange to me. But what I really would love to see us do is as a church, as a people, or even as we think about our own homes, we go back to our own homes wherever we live. We live in the north side uh, of South Bend. There's actually a nice contingent of Livingstones people that live up in the north side of South Bend uh, where, where we live. And that we see our, the people that live around us as maybe they might be strangers right now. But I want to make them neighbors. And I want to make them neighbors in such a way that they feel very comfortable in my presence, our presence, that they become like family to us. Another way that I would like to explain it is this. We look at the way that we function as a church, and we think like the best way that we could reach our neighbors is to do what? Invite them in. We've done that from, for, the church has done this for ages. We open the doors and say, come, be a part of us. But what? Instead, if we said, we open up our table and we say, I want to take the simple things of life. I want to take the ordinary things of life and be generous with it. And we actually look at our neighborhood as being a part of us rather than you coming and being part here. We look out and we see, these are my people. These are my people. As we dare to be the church in our day, this will be the hallmark of our fellowship. Not that we have any kind of special programs that are recognized in our community, and we've been there and we've done that, and we will probably do those kind of things again, but that's not our goal. 
It's that we carry out the vision and the mission of the Living Stones Church that we believe that God has given us to make a difference here in the south side of South Bend. We take what we have, not what we lack, and we share with one another and with our neighbors in a spirit of generosity and unconditional love. This is what the church in the book of Acts came to understand. So the first thing that I, the first area that I would like us to look at is that the church gathers to support one another. I think we can understand that. Jesus' disciples gather daily in the temple courts from house to house. Now, I want to I make a note here as I we dig into this text. We're, we're in the, very, the second sermon in the uh, series on the book of Acts, Daring to be the Church. And I want to take these next few chapters, and I would like us to look at it as uh, bookends, that Luke has done something very creative and very beautiful as he is writing this to Theophilus. Remember, he's writing this to a friend, and he's giving this account of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and how the church is exploding. And in this part of the text, he takes the stories, and he bookends it, and he tells this story, and then he comes one page deeper on either side, and he tells another story, and that there's a treasure in the middle of these stories, okay? So let's take the first one, okay? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is one of my favorite verses in the book, uh, the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We, we hold on to this passage as a church because that's what we'd like to see. We would love to be able to see the Lord adding to our number, right? We want to be able to see an expansiveness. We want to see this bigness. But it starts from simple things. It starts from this gathering together to support one another. If you go all the way to chapter 5, starting in just one verse, it further on explains something very similar. It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. This is what the church did. This is what the early church did on a daily basis. That they, it wasn't just that they came to a service, but they lived their lives in such a way that this was a part of their lives. It wasn't this extra thing that they do. It's not the thing that they do at the first day of the week. It is something that they did always. And they did it at the temple, they did it in their workplaces, and they did it in their homes. From, just as a reminder from last week, we looked at the, the tongues of fire that alighted on the apostles' heads, and uh, we talked about how we are his presence. Or as much as the, the, the presence of God was in the, the burning bush of Moses and the, the presence of God in fire was over the tabernacle and of the temple, that image of these flames of fire over the disciples' heads expresses to us that we now, today, 
are the presence of God. Wherever we go, we are these mobile temples. We meet in homes. That's the, what the church was doing in these days as they were meeting in homes throughout Jerusalem. They depended on one another. They ate meals together and said their daily prayers with one another. So what is our takeaway? What, what, what is the simple thing in this radical hospitality we have that we take away from what we see happening in the church? Make extra. Make extra zucchini bread. I don't know. But, you know, make extra. You never know who's... It's this idea that you never know who's going to show up. I, I think I probably told this story, too. One of, my, one of my best friends would always, in his wallet, keep in a little secret pocket $100. And he would build up $100. And, and the reason why he did that wasn't for himself. He was planning to be a blessing to somebody so that when they came to him and said, could you loan me have you ever been there on the receiving end of that? Can you loan me something? And I remember Tom would be able, he would go to his wallet and he would say, that's not a loan. I already prepared to give this to you. I didn't know it was going to be you. I didn't know when it, when it was going to be. I didn't even know how much. But I knew that someday somebody would come to me and God prepared in advance for me to give this to you. It's the same thing with everything that we have. Whatever you have, you make extra to prepare, to bless. How about our tables? An open table. Uh, um, I celebrated my birthday a few weeks ago, and um, yeah. <laughs> Martin's Discount. Do you know about this? Those of you that are 55 and over on Wednesdays, 10% discount at Martin's, and it happened this year. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But I, a, a, a few weeks ago, I, uh, as, as we do in our family, we, we kind of stretch it out. Uh, birthdays in the Kozak Leonard house is a festival, and it stretches out, and it's big, and it's expansive, so much so that we had, uh, we, we ran out of chairs at the table. Uh, and I'm not sure if it was because I know that they were honoring me and they were celebrating. I think, but I think just people wanted to come to get together and celebrate. You know, that we open up our table and we say, you're always welcome. And we have a holiday, that, holiday season that's coming up, friends. We have, we have Thanksgiving and we have Christmas and we have New Year's and all of these things. What would it look like if you said, you know what, let's set some extra places at our table. Because every one of us in this room knows people that are in our neighborhoods or maybe in our families, maybe they're even here at this church, who would spend this day alone. And what if we said, you know, that's not right. I have an extra place. I have two extra places. I have plenty of food. I have lots of bread and lots of zucchini. <laughs> and I don't know that any of us ever has a small turkey on Thanksgiving. We always have a huge turkey. We always have plenty. So what if that, we did that simple thing and we made sure that nobody is alone? Nobody is alone. And then we get together and we, we pray and we worship. And, and I'm not saying it has to be one of those things in our homes where it's like, okay, Lowell's going to get out his Bible and have a devotion right now, you know? I mean, there have been moments like that in my house that I'm like this because I guess I just can't get the preacher out of me uh, very easily. But, 
What I mean is that the moment, the time that we have together actually becomes a time of worship. It becomes, it comes a time where we recognize that the person that's sitting across the table from me, it reflects the image of God. And so now I see God's presence in the other person. To be able to slow down enough to be able to say, you are the beloved son or you are the beloved daughter of God. And we even pray that prayer often when we pray. We acknowledge God's good creation all around us. And then we meet others' needs. Uh, I, I think of a story that is that I'm going to read here in a minute, but I think of it from a child's mind because does anybody remember the, the story of when Peter and John went to pray? I'm not going to sing the song. Don't make me sing the song. And they met him and lame a man on the way, and he asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give, I give to thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that's the second part. The church heals and it teaches. The church heals and it teaches. Peter and the apostles would spend their time in healing and then preaching in the temple. And interestingly enough, after this healing and preaching, they end up getting arrested. That's really interesting. Let me, let me read the story to you. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man was, who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he, just, I didn't even think about that when I was studying this, but I just think about that. Here is Peter and John, and they're going up to the gate called Beautiful. Uh, I've been to that gate, <laughs> and uh, I've been to this place where Peter and John are, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. So as this image, you have this man who is lame, and somebody has to carry him there to the gate beautiful, and he begs there. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Because that's what he does. He doesn't know who they are necessarily. He just knows that there are going to be people walking in and out, and they're going to have money. Especially going into the temple, they're going to have money because they're going to give offerings, right? And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. Can, and, and just pausing right there, you think about people who beg. Where are their eyes usually? Downcast. I, I'm not worthy. I'm in want. And I love that Peter and John say, look. Look at, look at us so that I might see you. expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, as I quoted in the song, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk. And taking him by the right hand, which I love that he touches him, 
He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. <laughs> and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts. Don't pass over that too quickly. Because this is something that he hadn't been able to do. And then as he is healed, he gets up and he goes with them. He's welcomed into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What it would it be like on a Sunday morning if we start walking and jumping and praising God in this place? I've seen it happen a few times. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then after this moment, uh, Peter and John are arrested. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I just have the, I, I have to ask the question. Look at what happened in this instance. Look at the beautiful thing that happened at the gate, beautiful. And then Peter and John are arrested. Why? We ask, we should, we ask that question. What in the world is wrong with people? Why are they arrested? By the religious leaders. Why are they arrested? Could it be pride or jealousy? All with the excuse that the Torah says they should be all kept out, the lame, the weak, they should be kept out and not defile the temple where the presence of God dwells. Is this really what God intended for the temple? And we're gonna talk about that in just a little bit when I get to my third point. But that's a question to ponder for a moment. And then after they are arrested, and as they are defending themselves, Peter preaches. He preaches several sermons here at the beginning of the uh, book of Acts. So I just want to come back here to this gate, beautiful, and, and this is happening all around the temple where these people are begging. Jesus, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking the, the idea that Jesus would say, the poor you always have with you. Why? What is the purpose of having the poor with us always? What purpose could there be that people around the temple are allowed to remain with no access, with no privilege, with no position. And they're kept at arm's length and not allowed to come into the presence. And they're looking in. And every day they are passed by. Every day people walk by these individuals. In this temple worship, they exclude the sinners. And you might be thinking, well, that makes sense because this is a holy place, and therefore, this is something that we don't want to be defiled. And so they would keep out the tax collectors. They hated the tax collectors because the tax collectors were one of them, but they were crooked in their dealings and took more than what they were supposed to, and they put it in their pockets. Zacchaeus and Matthew were two of those. They would exclude the prostitutes, whom Jesus uh, interacted with many times. Often, probably, these, these poor women had no other way of providing for themselves, so they relegated themselves to something that was detestable. But nobody 
gave them a way out. Nobody gave them an option. The lame, the blind, the lepers, the sick, these were all excluded from this body. And then even the Gentiles, they could only go a certain distance in, into the temple. They weren't allowed all the way in because they were, they were of the nations, but they weren't Jewish. They weren't chosen. And the women, the women were not welcome to a certain spot in the temple. They weren't allowed to go all the way in as the men were. All of these people who longed to be a part were excluded. Not always because of their choices. In fact, most just because of just the condition of their lives. Now, the other bookend is from uh, Acts chapter 5. Let me read this part. It just kind of sums up this whole thing. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, <laughs> these people who were on the outside. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, the temple. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more women, men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and their tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. If we are to dare to be the church today, we must exhibit this contagious grace. We must exhibit this posture that says, those that are on the margins, those that are on the outside, bring them in. Bring them into the presence. Because it is in the presence of God that lives are transformed and healed. That is our job if we dare to be the church, and it will cause you and I to start to question some of the things that we maybe hold back. Just like the religious leaders of, those, of that day, there may be some people that were thinking, who do I hold? Who do I hold at arm's length and don't let into the presence? Can I look into their faces? Can I say to them, look up, look up, and I see them? And I hear them. Now they're the center part moving in and even deeper as we go. The church carries out God's mission. Jesus' disciples will sell their possessions to support the poor. I, and I love that, mo that right there because I think about like, okay, we started with like, okay, I'll share, I'll share my home and invite people to my table, radical hospitality. Then I, uh, now I gotta start touching the people that are untouchable and bring them into my presence. But now it is, here's where it comes in. Now I'm gonna sell all that I have and share with other people. That's radical. How would you like for me to start the offering out with that on Sunday morning? <laughs> Listen to this. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. There was a beautiful unity that was among this church. 
No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. I just want to pause there because I think of one of my good friends who would always, and, and still to this day, you need my truck? You need my trailer? You need my chainsaw? It's not mine. It's God's. Anytime you want it, come get it. I remember, I remember borrowing his truck one time, and uh, Phil would keep uh, uh, a bag of candy underneath the truck seat. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> and I would eat the candy. <laughs> and then I would tell him later, and he said, well, that's what it's there for. <laughs> I love that. But they shared everything they had. And, this, and with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It was like this giving was the grease that allowed them to be able to do that. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I want to... I want to challenge us with something here because I think that we look sometimes at the book of Acts and we look at the beginning of the church, the beginning of new thing. But this is something God intended from the beginning. Remember we're talking about the, those religious leaders that were keeping people out? The Torah didn't say that. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 and 29, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your houses so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance to their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the name of your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Did you hear that? It wasn't just the people who worked on the inside that benefited from us, but it was the fatherless, and the widows, and the foreigners. <laughs> the people that were being kept out of the temple in Jesus' day, it's like, this was not my intention. This was not my father's intention. And, it would, and, it would, and Deuteronomy will continue to go in chapter 15, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. What would that look like? How freeing would that be if we don't hold over other people? Now, I'm not... I heard what you said, and I agree, because I have debt, and I would love to be able to say, woo, but what if, what if somebody owes you something? And I, it might not just be money. It could be a grudge. It could be forgiveness. It could be something like that that we release. And this is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be, here's the key, there need be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. See, it's a trust. And if, you, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but borrow from none. And I'm just going to let the rest of it sit there. Continue to read 
up to verse 11, and then 15, 12 through 15 even. I think there are some challenges in this, this, this radical generosity, this radical hospitality, this radical grace, this contagious grace that God is calling us and, and dares us to be as a church. The challenge, if we're honest with ourselves, are, are there are three things. First, many things that we think that we do for others are in fact expressions of our, desire, our drive to discover our identity in praise of others. And what I mean is, <laughs> see what I'm doing. I want the pat on the back. And, and, and I, was, I want to speak to us as a church, as living stones. It can be very easy at the front end, we have good intentions with our giving, but on the back end to think, why wasn't that in the paper? Right? Why doesn't the community, why doesn't somebody else know about what we did? That's not why we do this. It's not why we do this. It's not about making a name for ourselves. Jesus Christ makes a name for himself, and we show the world what Jesus Christ looks like. Remember, we're the presence of God. Second, we end up doing things for others for the sake of doing, for the sake of ourselves. We have a hard time sitting with other people because we don't want to seem lazy. Think about this. We want to replace God's supposed slowness and inaction with our activity. Have you ever thought about that? When we get restless and anxious about things not being done around us, and we expect ourselves or maybe the other people around us to get so busy, maybe God is just being slow on purpose. Maybe God is waiting but we should intend that we do to help and serve and minister does not create an absence of God, but respond to what God is already bringing into being. And the key here is prayer. The key is prayer, because it puts us in contact with God regularly, which is what the early church was doing. And it helps us to not see people as projects or somebody to be pitied, Rather, it helps us to see others to be received with love and loved and a love that is implanted in us and already at work in the world. We just partner with God with what he's already doing. And third, sometimes the stumbling block is, is our own competitiveness. We want to make a mark and a name for ourselves because we want to be special. We want to be different. I, I, I have to say this to myself. I have to be able to get off the stage more. I have to be able to stoop down and kneel and wash others' feet and not to be the one that's special in other people's eyes. Think about Jesus. Because I think this is what the early church is being. They were being the presence of God. Jesus was not dependent on people, but only on God. And as he was, then he could be so as he was close to people. He could be concerned. He could be comforting. He could be healing. 
he could be caring. Jesus related to people for their sake, not his sake. The question for today is how can I respond to a real need? How is God calling us as a church to respond to a real need? Real ministry starts taking place when we bring others in touch with more than we ourselves are. The center of being, the reality of the unseen, because the Father is the source of life and healing. Livingstone's Church, we, we are being called by God to, to be radically and ordinarily hospitable and when we do this, we will make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Again, thank you, God, for calling us uh, to carry out your mission, to partner with you in the work that you are already doing, the good thing you're doing among us. And as we pray, Father God, we pray like the early church that would sit in your presence and wait and watch and recognize what you're doing around us and then walk in obedience as you show us. Thank you, Father, for calling us your beloved sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.